pray. Lord God, we love you. And we look to you. We set our eyes on Jesus Christ, not on ourselves, but to you. Lord, right now, as an act of my will, I yield to you and I say, Holy Spirit, stir us in such a way that goes beyond uh, man's words. But Lord, let it be of your Holy Spirit, of your power and your anointing. Speak to us, touch us, move us, move us to action and draw us closer to the Father's love. Guide us into all truth of Jesus Christ and his power and his love and the life that we have in him in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I took this long intro. I better check the clock because here at Impact Rock, we also don't preach for an hour. And I've heard amens over the years. Thank you for not preaching for so long. Okay, so giving. I want to start with Exodus chapter 22, verse 29. In the New Living Translation, it says this. Do not hold anything back when you give me the tithe of your crops and your wine. You must make the necessary payment for redemption of your firstborn sons. And then it goes along, you know, talking about giving. That's the first instance in the Old Testament that we see of tithing. Tithing, the word tithe, uh, it's a Hebrew word, mayasar, uh, which means the tenth. So when we discuss the tithe, it's just translated as the tenth. And what that means is that when they gave, they gave a tenth of everything. Whatever it was that, that was their bounty, they gave a tenth. If it was crops, they gave a tenth of the crops. If it was uh, if it was cattle or sheep or livestock, they gave a tenth. And if it was if it was finances, they gave a tenth. Okay, and it went to the priesthood. It went to the temple. It went to the Lord. Now here's the thing: they gave a tenth, regardless of their mood, regardless of their condition of their heart, regardless of their circumstance. They gave a tenth. If they were upset and grudging and being like, I don't want to give, they gave they gave anyway. And they gave so out of obedience to the law, out of obligation, but in part, they also gave, and we're looking at Old Testament giving, they gave out of fear of what would happen if they didn't. What would happen if they didn't? Part of their motivation was, I want God's blessing, but I'm also fearful if I don't give, some bad stuff could happen to me. Okay? I want to I let you know right now, money is not bad. Money is not bad. Uh, people misquote 1 Timothy 9 all the time, and they say that money is the root of all evil. That is not what it says. Money is not the root of all evil. 1 Timothy 6, 9-10 says this, But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money's not evil. The love of money is evil. Jesus taught on money more than he taught on any other subject. Okay? Money is, is good. Jesus had strong opinions on giving. Jesus had strong opinions on money. It's the love of it. It's making, making money 
and things Lord. Tonight's message is all about lordship. Giving is all about lordship. Giving of your time is all about lordship. Giving of your money, your lives, your it is all about who is Lord of your life and is. And if we say it's God, if we say it's Jesus Christ, is he really Lord? That's what giving is all about. Acknowledging a trust and a faith and a love and an affection in God and saying nothing's withheld from you. Isn't that simple? See, we don't got to make it more than it is. That's what it is. Lord, nothing's withheld from you. Nothing. Not my time. Not my heart. Not my energy. Not my finances. Nothing's withheld from you. What did Jesus have to say about tithing? Jesus had something to say about tithing. In Matthew 23, 23, it says this. Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees, and he says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. This same story is also spoken of in Luke. Now, you know, when we talk about giving, a lot of people go, oh, well, you know, tithe was abolished, you know, with the new covenant. You know, the tithing was an old covenant um, uh, law, and it was an old covenant decree, and when, when Jesus came and the new covenant was established, tithing was abolished. Well, here we say right here, we see Jesus' opinion on tithing. And Jesus says, yeah, go ahead and tithe, yes, but don't forget the more important things. Okay, when we talk about tithing right now, and we talk about giving, I want to make something perfectly clear. In Christ Jesus, we have freedom. And sometimes when we, when we get a boxed thought, or a boxed theme, or a boxed religion, that's where there's not freedom. That's where there's not joy, because it's obligation. So I want to go ahead and throw something out there right now. When we talk about the tithe right now, do not be bound by a number, and that number one zero, ten percent. Don't be bound by ten percent. Don't be bound by ten percent. We're going to see in His Word that Jesus wants us to give cheerfully, not grudgingly. He wants us to give joyfully. And sometimes when we when we have that number ten percent, it makes it tough to do. Am I the only one that kind of feels that way? Sometimes when it's 10% and you're like, oh, crap, i got to give my 10%, you know, and we like, you can give 11. You can give 12. You can give 29.625. You can give 8. The Bible talks about purposing in your heart. You know what? There's going to be different seasons. There's going to be seasons where you're able to give more and you're going to be like, I get to give more. I, I'm serious. I'm not kidding you. You're going to go, I get to give more. And there's other seasons where you're like, dang it. I want to give more. But it's just not there. You know what? We found freedom in Jesus Christ. Okay? So I just want you to keep that in mind. We're going to continue to talk about the tithe and about giving. But just realize that there's freedom to be found in it. Let's look at a few more scriptures. We're just going to go quickly through uh, three different scriptures, and then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 9. Hebrews 13, 16 says this, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices 
that please God. Okay? Ephesians 4.28 says this. I love this. This is awesome. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good, hard work, and then give generously to others in need. That's a tough sell, right? You sit there talking to Steve. You're like, how you doing, Bob? Bob's like, business is good. (laughs) Yeah, Bob, you're a thief. You know, and stop stealing and work hard so that you can give to others. I mean, totally contrary thoughts, but I love the Bible. That's just awesome. So, First, uh, first John three seventeen and 18. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Okay? Giving is mentioned time and time and time again. And when we put money in this rightful place, where that we are Lord over it, not it lording over us, and Jesus Christ is Lord over us. So Jesus is Lord over us. We master the money. The money doesn't master us. That's a good place to be in. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 9, and here's, here's, here's your homework. Um, let this not be the last time that you read 2 Corinthians 9 this week. Go home and read it again. Go home and study it. Go home. I mean, we're gonna we're just gonna read it straight through. But there's so much that's good in here. So, you guys received that homework assignment. You're not gonna be graded. You're not gonna turn it in. But it's homework nonetheless. Second Corinthians nine, chapter one. I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help. And I had been boasting to the churches in Macedonia that you and Greece were ready to send an offering a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. But I'm sending these brothers to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. We would be embarrassed, not to mention your own embarrassment, if some Macedonian believers came with me and found that you weren't ready for all I had told them. So I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a small seed or a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives Cheerfully. By the way, that word cheerfully is the Greek word hilarious. Hilarious. That's how we're to be a giver. Not just a cheerful giver, but a hilarious giver. And God will generously provide all you need. Let me back up. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then... You will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I love, if I can stop right here, I love how... When Paul's talking about giving, 
He always brings it back to God's going to hook you up so that you have more to give. Isn't that I mean, we see that all the time. God's going to give you what you need and then more because He wants you to give. He wants you to be a blessing. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. That's a, that's a short chapter, but man, isn't that a great chapter? Church, this is, this is, this is how we give. This is how we give. We give joyfully. We give cheerfully. You know, I was reading many scriptures on giving, and Paul's writing one of his letters to the church, and he says something that's really cool. He says, uh, purpose in your heart at the beginning of each week what to give and set it aside so that when we come together, we don't have to waste time with taking a big collection. We can just enjoy each other and be in God's presence. Now, that's me slightly paraphrasing, but that's the message. Hey, just purpose in your heart at the beginning of the week what to set aside. So when we come together, we can have fun. We can do what God's called us to do. Church, that's actually a pretty dang good idea. Let's not wait till the service is over and we panic as we're standing over the end of the table going, oh, what do we give, honey? What should we give? I don't know. How much did you make? I don't know. You know, and then we're like, you know, this Monday, I can be like, Lord, I'm going to give to you. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to purpose in my heart and, and think and decide what to give. You can do that. You don't have to do it under the anointing. Sometimes we think, oh, we have to wait till the Holy Spirit moves me to decide what to give. No, just purpose in your heart what to give. And then do so joyfully. And then look forward to it. Man, I put this check and it's already Tuesday. and I, Man, I can't wait for church so I can give. You guys, I'm not being funny. I'm, I'm totally serious. We get to, with that kind of enthusiasm, think we get to give. I promise you, when we have that sort of mindset and we're already open, God's going to start speaking and our eyes are going to be open to other needs beyond just needs in this place. See, there's needs that, that neighbors of yours have. There's needs that people that we work with have. There's needs of someone that you're going to drive by and see them on the side of the road hard, holding a cardboard sign half. There's all kinds of needs that we can impact and that we can meet and lives that we can change with the good news of Jesus Christ and the love of God. But our hearts have to be in a state where we don't despise giving. See, no one's pressuring you. I don't care what you give. But God does. Now, I will say, maybe that's not true. I don't care what you give. That's, maybe, that's, maybe I spoke too soon because I, I want you to be blessed. And the Bible says there's blessing in giving. And I want you blessed. But it's not that monetary amount. It's not these high dollar checks. That's give according to, to what's in your heart to give. And give so with trust and faith. Giving is about so much more than just caring for the needs of others. 
and expressing our thanks to God. There are promises in God's word about giving. That if we believe and we put our faith in what he says, there are promises that is, are just black and white that God says, if you do this, then this. He makes if-then statements. You guys remember that from school? If-then statements. If this, then this outcome. If we trust him, if we give joyfully, if we forgive others, then he will meet our needs. He will forgive us. We will have eternal life. Luke 6, 38 says this. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Now, I'm not you know, saying that God's like the best like investment plan in the world, you know, and that's not what he's saying either. But he's saying that if we fully believe and trust God, and when we give, God is faithful to bless us, to return to us. When we give, we must believe that the promises of God are true. We must believe. Either we believe this or we don't. If we believe this, if we believe what his word says is true, if we believe him, then we have a life that is full and abundant. The Bible says that Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's his plan and purpose for our lives. One of the ways that he wants to bless us and make us have an abundant life is in the area of finances. He wants us to be quick to give. He wants us to be quick to, to pray for each other and to say, I'm just being obedient to the Lord. I, I just, I, I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to give. Or to hear about a need and go, hey, I, I want to give. No, no, man, you don't have to do that. No, no, it's not a matter of having to. I, I, man, I want to. There's nothing else I want to do. I want to give. I want to help to that. I, I care about you and I trust God and it's a win-win. There ain't nothing, there's no downside to it. It's a win-win. I'm serious. When we give, we must believe that the promises of Jesus are true. Luke chapter 18 tells a very interesting story. And it's not a parable. A lot of times Jesus spoke in parables so that we could understand. He'd, you know, tell a story using examples this isn't one of those times. This is an actual encounter Jesus had with, uh, depending on your translation of the Bible, it either, it either says the rich man or the rich young ruler, okay? But it's a cat with money and, and a love for God. So Luke 18, 18 through 25 says this. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, and the religious leader who's asking this question is the rich young man. Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You, not, you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and your mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. 
At this point, I bet you the guy was pretty excited. He's like, sweet, I've done all the things. Jesus responds and says, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad. Wah, 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 wah. He was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a person to enter the kingdom of God. Unbelief prevents us from receiving blessing. Just so you guys know that I, that camel entering through the eye of the needle, just to kind of let you know the, the cultural context that that was spoken in. When a camel was fully loaded and they came into the gates of the city, there was a part of the gate called the eye of the needle. And to get through the gates, and it was a protective measure. The, the gates were there as a protective measure to fortify the city. So when the camel came, it was such a pain in the butt. They had to totally unload the camel. The camel had to be down on all fours, would scoot through the eye of the needle. They would have to cart everything, all, everything that was stacked on the camel through the eye of the needle, load it back up on the camel, and then they could go along their way. So when it says this reference that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle, it, it's talking about an unloading. An unloading, a, a letting go of, a falling upon your knees and giving everything. That's what it's speaking of. It's not, you know, it, it's, it's, there's an actual cultural reference to it. If the rich young man had only believed, had only believed, would have truly believed and not made it about his ability to keep, to keep the Ten Commandments, which he was so proud to say, oh, I've done all that. But if he had believed in Jesus, he would have got the best of both worlds. See, Jesus says, I want you to give this up. I want you to sacrifice. I want you to lay it down. I want you to unload all of these things and get upon your knees and give it all to me. And the rich man was sad because he was faced with the question of what's Lord of his life we draw the conclusion that since we never hear reference of this rich young man again, we draw the conclusion that he did not do as Jesus said. That he walked away sad, saying I'm not capable of doing that because I'm a wealthy man and that is what's Lord of my life. If we read four verses later, we see that he would have got the best of both worlds. Four verses later, as Jesus is talking to the disciples, this is what he says in verse 30. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. The promise of God was, if you'll trust me, and you'll give it all to me. I won't leave you empty-handed. You will be blessed in this life, and you'll have eternal life in, in the world to come. It's not just about securing that eternal security. God, God wants us blessed. The rich young man, if he would have done as Jesus said, I am convinced. He would have gotten so much more 
monetarily, you know, money-wise, because Jesus wants him. He wants him to have abundance so that he can then give and impact his kingdom in greater ways. Church, we got to put first things first. Giving is about putting first things first. Is Christ first in your life? Is Jesus Christ first in your life? Is He Lord? Do we trust Him? We must get our priorities of life in order so that we can have both eternal life and abundant life. He wants us to have eternal life and abundant life. That's what His Word says. But it's all about making Him the sinner. A lot of times when we talk about money, I often hear people say, well, Jesus was poor. You're sitting there saying, we're supposed to have abundant life, but Jesus was poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, you know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus Christ was. Though he was very rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. So we're like, well, yeah, Jesus was poor, and we could be rich. That makes no sense. When did Jesus become poor for us? When did Jesus become poor for us? We see in his word that when he was born, wise men came and heaped upon him lavish gifts, expensive gifts, gold, myrrh, frankincense. They gave expensive gifts that ensured that he would be raised without lack in his life. He was raised without financial lack in his life. His stepfather, Joseph, was a carpenter, was a craftsman. It was a respected and needed trade. And most likely, Joseph made good money. Their, their needs were, were met. Now, because of prophecy, because of God's will, and because of circumstance, yes, Jesus was born in a manger. He was born in a stable. But let's not kid ourselves into thinking that Jesus was poor. Listen to Jesus as a young man. Okay, and Jesus in ministry. He and the disciples walked around with so much money that they had to have a treasurer. Right? Judas was the treasurer. I don't need a treasurer. Any of you guys need a treasurer? And, and praise God if you do. But Jesus did, and the disciples did. He had money. What, what does the word tell us happened when Jesus was crucified? The clothes he wore were so nice that they were fought over and gambled over. Because they wouldn't fight and gamble over this t-shirt. He had garments nice enough that they fought and gambled and threw lots to see who would, who would take his garment even though it had blood in it. He, was, he had nice clothes. For three days, he was buried in a rich man's tomb. When did Jesus become poor for us? Jesus became poor for us at the exact same time that he became sick for us. At the exact same time that he became sin for us. On the cross. On the cross, he bore the sin of the world, our sin upon him.
He bore the poverty of the world upon Him. He bore the sickness of the world upon Him on the cross. The promises of God are that we have enough to meet our needs and then enough to give out. The promises of God are not that we have so much money in our church account that all of us get to take a big family vacation together. We're going to Honolulu this year, guys, because we got millions in our accounts. So let's go to Honolulu and we'll lay out for a while and we'll tell the person bringing us our pina colada, we'll tell them about Jesus. You know, that's not why he wants us, you know, he wants us, our needs to be met, but then we have enough where that we can give, where that we are quick to give. A few years ago, there were some bracelets that were very popular. And it said WWJD question mark on it. Anaya, what did that stand for? What would Jesus do? Well, we see in his word what Jesus would do, and we see in his word what Jesus did. He gave. He gave. What did the Father do? He gave. He gave his only son. What did Jesus do? He gave, freely gave his life. No one took it. He freely laid it down for us. He gave. We see opportunities to give that Jesus had, and it says that he gave. Our life is to be a life of giving. What is the better way that we have been called to? It's to give without this funky, ungodly pressure, this religious stigma that it's obligatory and that it's going to earn God's approval and that it's going to keep away the bad in our lives. And we're supposed to give out of freedom and out of joy and out of faith and because He is Lord of our lives and we've given Him everything else. So of course, financially, we, we give also. That's what we're called to do. Church, that's, that's who we are as a church. Now, we have, we've been a church for, I don't know, what is it, like 15 months now? In 15 months, this is the first message I've preached on giving like this. So that said, you better be listening. And you better take it to heart, because you're not going to get this every week, but you better get this right now. That we are to be a people who give and trust God. You know, I was teaching in fifth grade class um, when I first moved out here and I was at the church and, and uh, this little boy, uh, he, as sincere as could be, he said, uh, what do I do? And you could tell he was hurt and you could see the hurt. He said, what do I do? Uh, what does my mom do? Because it wasn't him. He said, what should my mom do if she can only pay our rent or pay tithe? What should she do? And so there's this teacher that was there and, she, and she's like, well, honey, we got to trust God and we just... And, and so he kind of turned his attention from her because he didn't get the answer he wanted. And he turned and looked at me. He goes, Mark, what, what should my mom do if she can only pay rent or pay tithe, but she can't do both? Which should she do? So I said, you know, son, you know what, what miss, I don't even know what her name was, what miss so-and-so said, it's true. We put our trust in God. We trust God. And you could tell that he was just kind of kind of disgusted at that point. I said, but here's, here's the honest answer. If you can only pay your tithes or you can only pay your rent, you pay your rent. 
and you trust God. You say, God, you know my heart and I desire to give. But Lord, I gotta pay my rent. So Lord, I purpose in my heart that when, as soon as you provide more, I'm gonna give. I wanna be quick to give because you are Lord of my life. But right now, I can only, I can only pay rent. Church, I'm telling you right now, you don't, don't pay your tithes if you don't got money to pay your rent. Unless you heard the audible voice of God and he sounds like Sean Connery, you know, and he's got an English accent. I'm telling you right now, you know, don't get hung up on some religious thing. But before that, if you can't pay your rent, you better be coming to one of the leaders in this body and say, I can't pay my rent. I, I, I'm not playing. You want to see me upset? You get evicted out of your place because you didn't come and say you needed money? Oh, it's not going to be lovey, happy Pastor Mark. It's going to be irritated. Sucker, what the heck are you thinking, Pastor Mark? Because see, God allows us to give and to share and, and to be a part. Church, we're supposed to give. And it's just money. But we're also supposed to give of our time. We're supposed to give of our heart. We're supposed to give time on our knees, unloading everything before God and saying, You are Lord. And I know what the bank account says, but you are Lord. And I know what this feels like, but you are Lord. That is a life of giving. And it's liberating. You know what? You're going to be on both sides. And depending on how old you are, maybe you've been on both sides. There's going to be times that you are given into and it's tough to swallow. And kind of pride stings a little back of our head and like, man, this is, thank God, man, this is tough to receive. But that's okay, because God will use it to grow. It'll build character, it'll build growth, and God will use it. Praise God for that. Because there will be times that you get to be on the other side. And you get to say, man, all my bills are paid, and I've got enough, I've got extra, so I get to give. I get to give, I get to help somebody, I get to bless somebody. I get to be quick about it, and purposeful about it, and joyful about it. Church, we're a giving church. When people ask about your church and they ask about money, just 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 take however long I took, you know, 40 minutes. I don't even think 40 minutes. And just tell them everything I just said. I'll give you my notes. Email me, email me your notes. I'll email you my notes. You can show scripture, but you can just say, giving is all about making Jesus Lord of our life. Period. Amen. As we pray. If you have a need in your life, and maybe that need is for prayer, maybe that need is for healing, um, we'd love to pray with you. But maybe your need is just a little bit more tangible, and maybe it's not just for encouragement, or, or maybe your need is more tangible. Maybe there's a financial need in your life. God cares, and we care too. And we'd like to help. If it's a huge need, we might not be able to, to meet all of it, but we sure can do something. And we can be there for you to let you know you're not going through it alone. So let's just pray and let's just set our eyes on Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. 
we declare that you are Lord of our lives. Jesus, you are Lord. And we make our lives a life of giving. Our time, our energy, our hearts, our resources, our expertise, and yes, our, our money. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we look to you. Father, right now I lift up every family, every individual that's here. And Lord, you know the needs. Lord, for spiritual healing. Lord God, there's people that that are broken and they just need a touch from you. Lord, right now, touch them, Lord God. Lord, heal them, Lord. Restore their heart, Lord. Restore their their faith and their trust and their hope, Lord. Lord, for those that have a need, Lord God, this financial father, I pray that, Lord, that we would be able to help meet that need, Lord, to help represent you and to bring honor and glory to the name of Jesus Christ so that the Father might be glorified. Lord, we place our trust in you. 